Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, If you are brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. We're in a new series called Who Is This Jesus? Started last week. It's going to culminate at Easter. It's five talks, five sermons, whatever you want to call it, five conversations. And really, we're just looking at this. If you're brand new to Jesus, the most important thing you could ever figure out is how good he is, how powerful he is, his redeeming power. You, you need to know who your Jesus is. But if you've been following the Lord for 20, 30 years, 10 plus years, sometimes we get caught in this trap that we think we figured it out. There's more Jesus that you need to know. There's another facet that will change your life. And so, so it's been a fun one. Last week we learned about the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. Um, he's the one that can give you rest that nobody else can. And today we're going to see Jesus come to church today. Okay, let's uh, turn our Bibles. Mark 3, Mark 3. It says this, uh, Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of me. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. The stage is set. The Pharisees and the scribes are looking for a way to um, destroy Jesus and kill Jesus. They're in church, and they have a critical eye, and they're watching him. And here's what it says. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened. Stop. Could you imagine this? Jesus coming to Mission Church and looking around. Oh, I pray he would not walk in to be angered and saddened. You know what this uh, text reads like? It reads like a bad episode of Undercover Boss. Anybody ever seen the show Undercover Boss? If you don't know Undercover Boss, it's been on for like 11 seasons. It's like a CEO from a big company shows up to, you know, like the waste management or Safeway. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, imagine if, like, you know, the Whole Foods right here. So Jeff Bezos is the CEO. So Undercover Boss, Bezos would come in, and they give him, like, makeup. Like, we're going to put a wig on you, Bezos. he put a hat on and glasses. And then he'd be like, he'd, like, be a beggar at uh, Whole Foods for, like, a week. And so he'd come in. I mean, one of the richest men in the world would, would sneak in Whole Foods. And what he would be doing, and you'd be watching on the episode, is, like, where are the good employees at? Where are the bad employees at? Who are, who's nice? Who's mean? And so, like, he'd be watching an employee, you know, treat somebody terribly. You know, watching, like, one of the, the people who was the checkers, like, yell at him. Like, can you imagine them yelling at Jeff Bezos? Like, hey, beg it faster, man. And Bezos like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, you know, and so it's just great drama. And at the very end of it, you know, he's like, guess what? I'm Jeff Bezos. You know, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Jeff Bezos has been at Whole Foods for a week. You know, and then, and then he's like, you're a bad employee. You're fired. You know, and then he's like, you're a good employee. I'm going to pay for your wedding. You know, and and like, he just like does all these weird things and then like episode over. So, so can you imagine Jesus walking into church and just seeing pastor after pastor, follower after follower, not carrying what he called them to carry. They're angry and judgmental. They're, ter- te- they're treating people terribly. And he looks around and he goes, this is supposed to be my church. This is where people get healed. This is where my joy is supposed to be. You may have my name, but you don't have my spirit. You can put church on it, but it's not mine. And so the undercover boss, the undercover savior, uh, the, the, the soon and coming king, he lets the, he lets the story out of the bag because at the very end of it, he lets him know who he is. Goes on and he says this, by the hard hearts, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. I don't know about you, but if somebody got healed of a withered hand in church, I'd be baking a cake, not killing a man. Can I just tell you real quick? Legalism is the enemy of Jesus. 
It's, it's the enemy. Legalism, religion, it's the enemy of the cross. It's a thing that attacks. Because let's just, let's just, let's just uh, play this down real quick. Religion is where our heart's bent. Even secular culture has their own religion. Martin Luther said it this way, that our hearts are bent towards religion. It's what we want to do. I was, I was in Israel, and um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going to the Wailing Wall, and I, uh, I, I walk up, and uh, before I can walk up, they're like, you have to wear a hat at the Wailing Wall. I didn't have a hat on. And so they had this like, little like, square box of used little, uh, these things, I don't know what they're called, but you... Yamaka, thank you. Um, and it's a hat you just put. I'm like, I'm not putting on somebody. They just, they, I just saw that guy put it in there. Like, what? So then I put my hood over my head. I was like, hopefully this will work. And so I put my, I pulled my hood up and because uh, it was cold that day. So, so I had my hood on and they allowed me to be in there. So I was like, okay, like, I didn't know that world. I was like, is that really even the Bible? No. And then, and then we go to a Catholic church the next day and, and I'm wearing a hat that day. And the Catholic church was like, take your hat off. I was like, which one is it? Hat on or hat off? You know, and then you walk into some churches and you can tell who's the holiest by who wears the, the biggest hat. You know, the guy with the little hat, he's kind of important, but the guy with the really big hat, he's super important. <laughs> and it, it's, it's one of the things where you laugh at it. And, and if I'm being honest, like I, 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 I get after him, like, hold on a second. If we get known for our do's and don'ts, that's not the church. That's a, that's a church where you wear a hat. That's a church where you don't wear a hat. That's a church where you wear a suit jacket. That's a church where you don't wear a suit jacket. Here's what happens. is the Pharisees that have a bent to make what God has given us as a gift, and he makes it a duty. Right? The Sabbath, we just say, enjoy the day. And then the legalistic spirit gets on, like, let's add 39 day- ways how to enjoy a day. I, I, the Sabbath became work, basically. Because you had to, like, okay, well, is that a rule? Is that not a rule? It became exhausting because legalism steals the joy out of the room. Can I share another religious uh, story I thought was hilarious? So we're in uh, Israel. And they have Shabbat elevators. So Saturday is, if you know anything about uh, Shabbat, I saw this last week, I'll give you a quick little synopsis. So Saturday is the Sabbath day in, 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 um, uh, in Israel. When Constantine, uh, you know, was emperor at 300 AD, he made uh, the new Sabbath day Sunday for the Christians. So, so the Jewish people held on a Saturday. The, the, the Christians held on a Sunday. So when America's birth, we said, which day should we have? We picked both, because that's what we do in America, okay? Saturday and Sunday. Next question. Okay, so, um, so, uh, so, uh, Saturday, though, the elevators, we, we get told, like, hey, just so you know, your elevator is going to stop at every level because you're not allowed to push an, uh, a button because that's sinning on Sabbath. And I was like, what? And so, like, so you go there and, like, you know, if you're on, like, floor eight, then it goes, floor seven, floor six, floor five. And then when you get to the bottom of the, of the hotel, it's the next day. And so then you're good. <laughs> Sabbath is over. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those things. You're like, like did I grow a beard in this elevator? You know? Ah, what year is that? You know, so, so, so the uh, uh, so the pastor the pastor is telling us this funny story. He's like, yeah, like some of the hotels they actually have a gentile elevator. They call them the gentivator. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and he said he got on the the gentile elevator, and uh, when he was getting on it, a bunch of Jewish people hopped on and said, hey, can you press seven for us? And he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, we're not sinning if you press a button for us, you know. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, I was like, because the reality is, is if you give Anybody with the legalistic spirit, anything that God told us to enjoy, they're going to ruin it. Give them a birthday cake. They're like, hold on a second. Silverware is on the right side. Nice on the left side. Hold on. We got to cut it in the little V-shape. No, just give them the cake and enjoy the cake. If you're around a religious person, they are so good at sucking the joy out of the room. You've been around a religious person if you had a glass of wine? Like, hey. And they're like, oh, sinner. And you're like, I thought I was having a good time. Uh, and I mean, this is a rally. I mean, and I, I'll have conversations like this. I'll be like, Pastor, I, I think it's evil. I don't think you're allowed to have a glass of wine. 
I'm like, where do you see that in the Bible? Jesus drank wine. So he's like, right? Let me have my wine. Come on now. Somebody loves her cab. Amen. Come on now. And uh, I'll be like, where do you see that in the Bible? And I see, I see miracles. Jesus turned water to wine. He, he drank wine. And they're like, no, no, no. That's grape juice. I'm like, were you in a DeLorean? And back to the future, he went back and you saw Welch's grape juice on the thing. Like, like I've never seen a story and say it's well, grape juice. Like, well, I just don't think Jesus should even drink it. And then you're like, oh, you're even more holy than Jesus. And that's what legalism does. It, it creates a place where Jesus can't even hang out. It pushes Jesus right out the door. And, and the reality is our church is not going to be known for its do's, don'ts, because you know what religious people love? They love paint by the numbers Christianity. It's, it's okay. Uh, uh, circle one, uh, paint blue. Circle two, paint red. Per, circle uh, three, uh, paint orange. And then everybody's done, and the whole picture looks the same for everybody. And so when you come to church, like, hey, here's what we do. Uh, circle one, you wear a suit jacket. Circle two, you don't do this no more. Circle three, you do this. Circle four, and everybody looks the same, hates the same things, and they're known for do's and don'ts. And so instead of being known for the one that saved your life, instead of being known for the one you love and that that has compelled you to change your life, you're known by painting by the colors religion. Woo! That's bad church. Can I say that's bad church? But when Jesus comes to church, he takes the paint by the numbers and says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to make a new place, a new home with fresh forgiveness and fresh restoration. I'm going to bring enjoyment back to the things that I created to be enjoyed instead of being a duty in your life. Will you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. God, we, we come against just that legalistic spirit that all of us have at times. God, that, 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 that spirit where it says that, that I know more and I'm better than. Lord, we, we just simply say that you're the boss. God, you're in charge. We give you the ultimate authority seat. God, we love you. We love you. Oh, God, I pray right now my words will fall to the floor and your words will soar. And everybody said... All right, let's look at this. When Jesus comes to church is the title of the message today. When Jesus comes to church. First one is this. When Jesus comes to church, the great physician comes to church. I like that. He's a great physician. You know, great physicians, you'd say, what are they known for? They're, they're great at diagnosing, and they're great at treating, and they're great at restoring. And, I, and I, I see this in Mark 3. It says this. Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed. Everybody say noticed. noticed. A man with a deformed hand stopped. When you come to church, what do you notice? Because when Jesus comes to church, he noticed the broken one. But the reality is, is that Jesus' eyes was trained for the broken. What are your eyes trained for? Do you walk in noticing right away? You know what? Um, the music was a little too loud for me. Like, so you're like in there. Like, so throughout church, you're not looking around. You're not, you're not amazed that, 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 that in the Bay Area, people are trying to find a place to seat in the house of God. But you're like, you know what? They were too expressive during worship. You know, there's actually proven studies that if you train your eye to find something, you'll find it. So if you want to find something wrong here, you will. Good job. Last service, Joe was like, amen. And I was like, did you amen my, that part of the sermon? I was, I was, I was, like, I was like, we're going to have a talk on Tuesday. You, you got something to say? Okay. Uh, so, so good, so good. But the reality is, is that people come into church and they're, they're, they're ready. They're ready to point out what they think is wrong with church that day. Second song was a Bethel song. I can't worship. Can't do it. I'm going to go use the bathroom. I'll be back in three minutes. <sighs> okay, I'm back. You come back. Pastor's on the platform. Is that guy wearing Lululemon pants? Yes. Yes, I am. It's called athleisure wear. And it's in. All right? You know what I'm saying? It's in. It's in. And you're just training your eye to find something. Instead of the reality is that in a room that this big and this full, there are people dying 
that need a prayer from you and an encouragement from you, but your eyes aren't looking there. You're looking at what to tear down instead of what to build up. But the great physician walks in and his eye is trained for it. Now let's, let's, let's set the stage. Let's, you know you don't have two sets of eyes, right? You got to pick. You're going to keep your religious eyes and look for religious things all the time, or you're going to put on like compassionate eyes to your Savior and you're going to see compassion for the rest of your life. And mercy and grace is going to be harder. Mercy and grace is going to be messier. Mercy and grace is going to be more, it's not going to be paint by the numbers. It's going to kind of stretch you in ways you never thought you could be stretched. It's going to have you hang out with people you never thought you'd hang out with. It's going to have you encourage people and not give up on people you never thought you'd encourage. I mean, you've got you to ask yourself today, what set of eyes do you want in your life? Because, because if, you, if you say yes to compassionate eyes, let me, let me show you what you're about to start seeing at church. So if you understand anything about the, the synagogue, people who had physical ailments, they weren't allowed in church. It was seen as a sin, like they were secluded. And so, so this guy, he had to sneak into church. So, so, and not only sneak into church, but he had to hide what, what was there. So, so if he had like a, you know, a, like a broken leg, he would have saw it very easily, and everybody would have saw that. But if you had a withered hand, and you know, they wore robes back then, he would have walked in, and he would have had his withered hand hidden, and he would have had it behind his body. And he would have been showing his good hand. And the reality is, is a lot of you have been trained to come into church the same way. And it breaks my heart. I pray in the name of Jesus that whatever you're hiding that is withered, the Greek word withered means dried up. If there's a bondage in your life, there's a thing you're struggling with. And every, every Sunday you come because you've been around a lot of religious people. And you're like, I still want to go to church. But if they knew I, I did this last week, they wouldn't want me in the house. Oh, here I go. Hey, everybody. It's a great day. And you show your strong hand. And you show your strong self. And the reality is, is that a lot of us don't actually have a physical withered hand, but you got something withered. Because the Bible shows that this, this is what, what you can tell us. How did Jesus see it? Because you can hide your witheredness, but your poverty tells on you. The man, if you study the history of the man, he was actually a stonemason, and the right hand represented the hand of blessing, and he can't bless until he is blessed. He has lost his purpose. He has lost a way to provide for his life, and so he's hiding his witheredness, but Jesus goes, that's a poor man. There's poverty, and I can see the desire for him to want to work, but he can't because something's holding him back. You're a, if you're in the house and you're good at showing your strong hand, your strong hand may not be just walking around like this. It may be your career. Hey, look how great my career is. But don't look at my marriage. Oh, hey, hey, look how great my kids are. They're my strong hand. I'm going to raise up great kids so people can see how great of a person I am because I raise great kids. But don't look at my personal life. And just one after another, we train ourselves to present strong hands and hide our weak hands. And Jesus comes into church and says, no, more of this. He's like, this is not what church was built for. This is not why I died on a cross. This is not why I said to gather. I didn't say to gather and show you're strong. I said for you to boast in your weakness, and my grace would be sufficient to save it. So we have this, this predicament. You have people in the room right now, and I'm, I know I'm touching buttons. They're like, I get it, Tyler. There's some people in the house that need to tell people they're struggling with something. But my thing, it would gross people out. My thing, people would look at me different. They would, they would, that would become my identity maybe. Can I, can I read you scripture real quick? Just went to the synagogue and noticed a man with a deformed hand. He was a man that had a deformed hand. Not the deformed hand man. He's like, hey, the man who's got something, 
but he's a man. And this is my son. And I'm going to fix this thing on the side. And the reality is, is that one of the reasons why you won't bring your witherness is because you think your witherness is you. Your witherness is not you. Let me, let me, let me show you something real quick. Uh, I'll, I'll show you a picture. So um, uh, the great physician uh, is the, the heart we're trying to share right now. So uh, I'll share a hospital story. So uh, if you've been to our church, you know that i allergic to chicken. I get anaphylactic shock. You know, uh, if I eat it, I'll die, or I, I, I could die. And so I've done that a few, a few times in my life, and uh, I swell up like hitch. You know, my eyes swell shut, ears swell shut. Well, the first time that I, well, the first time they ever had it, um, I started swelling up so bad that I walk into the ER, and the lady at the front desk literally grabs me, throws me in the emergency room, and then the doctor walks in. And he goes, he sees me. I'm, I'm, my, my insides are even swollen a little bit. I'm puking up blood. And he comes, he goes, all right, IV of this, shot of this, medicine of this, watch this, take a look at this, I'll be back in a second, get this done. I mean, like, pop, 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 guy saves my life. Can you imagine if I came into the hospital that day, and I was swelled up, and I come to the front desk, I'm like, hi, my name's, I don't know what's happening. And the lady's like, oh, another sick person? Oh, I'm, you're just so inconvenienced. Just don't eat chicken, man. Like, how hard is it not to eat chicken? You know, and she's like, oh. We'll be with you in a second. Go sit down. And then she's like, okay, okay, okay. We, got, we finally have room for you. Come on. And she sets me in the room, and then I'm sitting in the room, and I'm puking up blood. And can you imagine the doctor walking in and being like, hey, what's up with this? Like sees me, starts dry even because I'm puking up blood. I look disgusting. He's like, ooh, oh, time out. I'll be right back. Guy in that room is disgusting. He's puking up blood, and he's wearing Lulu pants. Get him out of here, you know? And so then they send another doctor. So I was like, I got this. And he's like, oh, my God. Okay. Okay, I'm going to give you a shot. Give me your arm. Where is it at? I don't, I don't even want to look at you while I help you. You're just so disgusting. When did the church get inconvenienced by broken people? When did church become a rhythm where broken people don't have a moment to get prayed for? Or broken people can't share what they're going through. When did that become the inconvenience of the house? I've pastored for 20 years. How people sit down with me, and, I, and this is going to change. I know it's going to change. But they'll, they'll talk to me like, Tyler, I've got to tell you something. Like, what's going on? You're going to think of me differently. Yeah, I don't know how to say it. Like, what is it? I struggle with lust. I, I looked at some stuff I shouldn't have looked at. And I'll sit there and I'm like, okay, keep going. What is it? What's, what, 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 what part? Like, no, that, that's it. I'm like, huh. If you knew the meetings I had, this is, this is a nothing burger. I don't look at you and I'm grossed out. This, I've walked through hundreds of conversations and seen men break through on the other side of freedom. I'm so sad we didn't have this conversation sooner. Put it this way. I... Uh, I was praying at the end of service today. At the very end, we're going to do the same thing. And I said, if you want to get prayed for and you have a withered hand in your life, bondage, addiction, a health issue, you just got something you need prayer for. Will you stand up? And at first, it was really slow. Nobody wanted to be the first one. And I was like, maybe I didn't say it right. On the count of three, if you have a withered hand, stand up. One, two, three. And then like three people stand up instead of the middle. And then like five more stood up over there. And then eight more stood up. And I'm watching this picture happen in front of me. And then 10 more. And then the whole room ended up standing up. And I was like, golly. 
if that's not a picture of somebody having to set the stage of showing their witherness first so the other person can follow and say, well, if they showed their witherness, maybe I can show my witherness. Well, if they got, if they got their witherness healed, maybe I can have my witherness healed. Because the reality is, is that the reason why the church is being held back from people being healed is because nobody wants to show their witherness. But then what, what, here's what's so fun. When you get to church and you meet people and, and you hear their testimonies and they share their story and we're, we're actually doing a testimony um, on Easter. So I feel like people need to see what, what people have been through because reality is y'all train wrecks. I'm not trying to be mean, but y'all, y'all, y'all got stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk, I got pastor buddies. My best friend's a pastor, and he'd be like, man, I just had a meeting, and, you know, this couple, they were, um, they were vacationing together, and they were sleeping with each other, and, and they were basically tra- tra- trading spouses. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, this is the second one this week I've heard of. I'm like, okay. He's like, Ty, you don't think that's happening in your church? And I was like, My church? <laughs> I was like, I don't know how you pastor, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but then I was like, Lord, if it is happening in our church, which, to be honest, promiscuity, adultery, it's happening. Lord, may those people be able to come and say, man, we are struggling. Those people that came to him are staying in the church and getting restored. Come on now. They're not running away. They're not saying, I, I can't do this anymore. There's just something about a church who say, this is what I got. Can you heal me? And the pastors walk in, the Christians walk in, and they don't dry. He's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. You're the third anaphylactic shock person I've seen today. I, uh, I want us to deal with something today, and I want us to deal with bad church today. When Jesus comes to church, bad church must be dealt with. Mark 3 says this, he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. And once the Pharisees went away, he met with the supporters of Herod on a plot to how to kill Jesus. What we have here is a failed system and a frustrated Savior. Religion will frustrate you for the rest of your life. Religion will not give you the results that your heart desires. Religion will never produce what you want. It's going to hold you back. Religion is so great at separating. Religion, it's so good at separating. You know what religion does? Just like the guy with his withered hand, you know what religion does? It creates a room full of imposters. It creates a, it creates a room full of just fakers. And you know what? It creates a room full of arrogant people that actually think that they're fine. It's, it's self-diagnosing physicians for themselves. I'm good. You're not good. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, man, like everybody in here, but I'm going to use this one in front of everybody. So maybe I can start the rhythm of everybody coming to me saying, I need prayer for this. So let's catch it real quick. Prideful Christians try to show you how important they are. But humble Christians show you how important Jesus is. Like, if you're in our community and people hang out with you, I hope they don't walk away going, wow, that person's amazing. They know the Greek. Man, the Genesis, they they know the word. They're amazing. May they walk away and go, man, Jesus is amazing. He saved their life. I was a mess. Still am a mess, to be honest. But, man, he's gracious and he saved me and I'm in a process. Instead of talking about how great we are, we talk about how great God is and what he's been doing in our life. There's a difference. I, um, I love what Matthew 12 says. So you see this in Luke 6 and Mark 3 and Matthew 12. And Matthew 12 says this way. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue. He doesn't even call it his church. He says their synagogue. Like, no longer his church. Like I said, like, you can have the name, but you can't have my spirit. And so I wrote down real quick, it's okay to reject a church, but it's not okay to reject the church. I, um, I actually did some studying, and I was like, Jesus, what churches did you reject? What, and what should we reject? 
And what should we not reject? And here's, here's, here's the list of the seven churches in Revelation. Some of them Jesus rejects. Some of them Jesus compliments and says, I like this church. And so here's one he rejects. It's the church of Ephesus. He calls them the loveless church. He goes, you used to love people. You used to love me. But now you hold tightly to works and religion. Man, it's just crazy to me, people who are so divide, devoted to Scripture, but not devoted to people. You know, it's, it's because James says pure religion is caring for people. But then, then you see these people and they're like, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just say to you real quick. Do some of you who've trained your eyes to look for bad things, do you think the value you bring to the church is how much you know scripture and what we should do and not do? Do you think that's what your value is? Like, my value is I'm the guy who tells you what you should do and you shouldn't do. You're welcome. I go to small groups and I say, you're welcome. I go to lunches, I tell people, here's where you're wrong. You're welcome, you know. You just walk around and you just give you a little snap of soup because you're so devoted to telling people what is right and wrong. But the last time, like, man, when I'm around that person, man, they love me so well. They listen so well. They serve me so well. And you're just saying to the church of Ephesus, man, you don't do that anymore. And I can't call you my church anymore. If you're going to be the person that tells everybody the right and wrong and you're all about works now, it's the enemy of the cross. Second church, he talks to Smyrna, calls it the faithful church. He celebrates the faithful church. I had a buddy in karate said this, what's the difference between the white belt and the black belt in karate? The black belt kept showing up. I, you know what I love about church? What do we celebrate about church or celebrate in your own life? I don't think we celebrate faithfulness enough. Like, like we showed up again this Sunday. We still, we still showing up. I, I, I failed this last three months big time, but I'm still going to come to small group. Again, like, we celebrate a song, we celebrate the message. Man, we're going to celebrate faithfulness in this house. Man, we're going to celebrate people like, man, I, I know you're in a hard season. I know you, I mean, even people like showing up with babies. Everybody in the parent viewing room, you, you are faithful people. You, you the real ones, you know what I'm saying? You showed up to sit in the room right next to us, and your baby's playing, and you're watching service. God bless you in the name of Jesus. Come on now. Can you say amen for that? Um, another one, people are like, yeah, my mom was like, you're darn right. Um, another one, uh, Pergamos. Pergamos. Jesus had to reject them because they were the worldly church. It didn't look different from the world. They, they started bending scripture to, to, to the culture. You know, they, they would say things like this. The crucifixion, that was 70 years ago. Cultures changed so much in 70 years. We don't need all these teachings anymore. We know better now. And the, the church started looking just like the world. It just said, I can't, I, I can't be a part of a church that looks just like the world. You got to look different. Another one is the church of Thyatira. They were the unrepentant church. They would hear the truth of God, but then they wouldn't change. They would, they would know that God said to live this way and to, and, to, and to live a life of love and serving and self-sacrificing and generosity, but they live self-centered still, unrepentant. Jesus, I, I, I can't attend an unrepentant church. I can't have my spirit on an unrepentant church. The other one is the church of Sardis. This is the dead church. They're once alive but dead. dead. They once had a passion, but they became robotic. They once used to come to church and from the first song, the song would start, and they would just start worshiping, and they start praising God, and they would, they would lean in, and they would chase after God, and they were excited to serve, and they were excited to be in a small group, and then a season went by, and they would just show up to church and just check the box, and then walk out and show up to church and check the box, and the Lord's like, this can never be a check-the-box place. This is a place where you pursue me. This is a place where you encounter me. I need to see passion. I need to see a relational desire to be with me. This is... The, we used to have a relationship, and now it's just dead because you're going through the motions. Come pursue me again. He goes, I, I can't be a part of dead church. Philadelphia, the serving church. There's something about a great church that knows how to serve people. I, I think our church has got that in spades. we got servants for days. You want to change the world? 
You change the world through servants. And the last but not least, Laodicea, the apathetic church. This is a church that their passion, their priority was fifth or seventh on the list. He said, I looked at your schedule. I looked at your life. And you put more faith in your finances. Your schedule, you, you squeeze me in when you can. You go to church here and there. But I'm not a priority to you. This is a whole lukewarm thing. I, I, I can't be a part of lukewarm church. And so, so I, I, I wrote down a, uh, a condensed sentence of everything that Jesus celebrated about a church in these seven churches. You ready? Jesus shows that what he desires is a loving, faithful, repentant, serving, passionate church that holds the truth. And so if you, if you see us not loving, not faithful, not repentant, not serving, not passionate, or not holding truth, you have the authority to come punch me in the face <laughs> with love. Yeah. Like one of these, like, hey, pastor. Hey, pa-. I said throat punch in the first service. Like, that's too dangerous. That could, that could, that could, that could leave a ram- some ramifications. But just give me a little tap. Hey, remember you said we're going to be the love church? I've noticed we're, we're more about religion now. Oh, I'll repent in two seconds. I'll say, man, we're going to be loving again. No, we have to hold each other accountable. Our heart is bent towards legalism. Next one, when Jesus comes to church, freedom comes to church. It's amazing to me how many people settle for a familiar bondage instead of an un- uncomfortable freedom. Ooh. <clears throat> Procrastination is the enemy of freedom. I want to catch you real quick. This guy wasn't dying. You can put it off till tomorrow. What's the big deal? It's just a hand. And the reality is, is a lot of you come with things like that. I was like, it's not that big a deal. I don't need to deal with it today. We'll deal with it tomorrow, Jesus. But when you get Jesus in church, he deals with stuff today. He doesn't put off anything because like the, the, the whole Sabbath rule was like, hey, if somebody's dying, you can heal them. But if it's just something like a withered hand, they can wait till tomorrow. And Jesus said, hold on a second. I didn't die on a cross. I didn't come to church so that people could still be captives. I came to set the, set the captives free. So today we're dealing with it. Some of you, even right now, you're kind of like, oh, your spirit's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh my God. The word's coming for you right now. You're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm going to have to tell somebody I've been struggling with this. Oh my gosh. I'll do it next week. No. You're going to do it today. Today you're going to find freedom. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to wait for tomorrow. I'm going to do it today. Here's where it gets, this is one of my favorite parts. When Jesus comes to church, he'll ask you to partner with him. I love what it says here in Mark Mark 3. So when Jesus, you know, saw the man with the deformed hand, he said, come and stand in front of everyone. Whew. Let me show you a picture of what, uh, uh, what a synagogue looked like. So a little different than Mission Church, um, but uh, this is what a synagogue would look like. Uh, you know, open air, of course, because they didn't have lights. Uh, people would have been walking around. Maybe the withered hand man was maybe standing right here at this time, and maybe people sitting there in the synagogue. And it's amazing to actually go to Capernaum and see synagogues like this. So you got to understand this, like Jesus comes into church and you think you come to church like, hey, it's Jesus, the greatest communicator ever. I'm going to preach a three-point sermon and change your life. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to preach a sermon. You're going to be my sermon. I'm not going to preach a message. You're going to be my message. Stand up in front of everyone. There's something about a church that isn't built off of just a message on Sunday. I mean, I'll talk to people and I'll ask them, like, hey, so why, why, do you, why do you love Mission Church? Why do you come to Mission Church? And, you know, I'm, not, I'm the main communicator. I'm the preacher. So I'm like, so why do you love Mission Church? Hmm? Do you love the messages, maybe? And I'm just, just fishing, coming like, where is it at? You know? and, um, and so I'm at the lunch with somebody, and they're like, man, you know, we moved here out of state, and, and we're looking for churches. And, and the first three churches we went to, like, the courtyard, they were like, nobody smiled and said hi. You're the first church where people in the courtyard are like, hey, welcome. 
welcome, you know? And I was like, smiling was like, what got you? And like, no, no, he's like, not only that, I was, I was, I was, like, I was like, well, what else do you love about our church? He's like, well, we have a daughter, and, you know, we brought her to kids, and, you know, she's birthed, uh, she's birthed during COVID, so, you know, separation is somewhat tough for her. And so we brought her into kids' ministry, and, and when we brought her into kids' ministry, the, the second week they already knew her name, and they were excited to see her, and so she was easily, like, you know, when the, uh, when the kids' ministry, and we're like, oh, my gosh, they remembered our daughter's name. That's why we love Mission Church. And I was like, and? <laughs> and? Okay, we'll just move on. I guess that's it. <laughs> but the reality is, is that when people come to church on a Sunday, the thing that is a make or break, a lot of times not the message. It's how are the people in the courtyard? How are they serving out there? How are they loving? How did God use them to preach a message of this is the right church I'm supposed to be at? Wow. Now, 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 now it's, it's, it's easy when God uses us to do the good things out in front of everybody. But what if God wants to use our life to show our worst things to everybody? I, I had a coach in basketball, and he would uh, make us run, uh, run lines. If you don't know what lines are, they're from the pit of hell. Um, but um, basically, in basketball, you'd run to the free throw line, you touch it, and you come back. And then you go to half court. And you go to half court, and then you touch it, and then you come back. And then after that, you go to the next free line. And at the very end, you'd go to the next end of the court, and you would touch the line, and you'd sprint back, and that would be lines. And you always had to be under 60 seconds, and then sometimes 50 seconds, you had to sprint. And the coach was on that side of the floor. So some guys, if the line was this little court right here, some guys would skip it by a foot because coach can't see that far. So they oh, I got this. And they'd, you know, cheat themselves about two feet. They'd run back, finished it. I remember a coach grabbed us one time. He says, you guys, you don't think I can see that? You're cheating on yourself. You're cheating your teammate. I'm doing this for you. You think I like blowing a whistle watching you run for 60 seconds? He goes, the fourth quarter is going to come around, and you're going to be tired. And the reason we're doing this is so the other team is going to be more tired than you, and we can get the victory. Right. Stop cheating yourself. Stretch your hand and touch the line. From here, from here out, everybody's touching the line. And so then we had to start running lines, thanks to a couple guys. <laughs> it wasn't me. Anyways. And we had to run and touch the line and touch it. And then sprint back. You know what Christianity looks like a lot when we talk to people and we live it? Is, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Life's good? Yeah, life's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. We'll see you later. Years go by, and we just stay right here. And Jesus is saying, like, stretch out the conversation a little bit. Share your story a little bit. And when you start talking to people, and they actually start sharing what's going on in their life, and they actually go down and go, how you doing? Good. Oh, man, I, you know, it's actually been a crazy six months. I used to be an alcoholic. And I didn't want to tell anybody. But I finally told a few of my friends, and I've been five months sober. Aww. Like, you were an alcoholic? Yeah, I was an alcoholic. Hey, how you doing? It's pretty crazy. We, our marriage was on a lifeline. And we reached out to somebody. Aww. And I was doing some pretty terrible things. And my spouse forgave me. Aww. And we're better than ever. How you doing? Good. Oh, man, I got, I got to share with you. I, I've been waiting to share, but I think it's time for me to share. I, I, I used to be suicidal. Could barely get out of bed every day. And I shared with my friends, and they prayed for me, and I've, I've sought help, and God, through his power and his grace and mercy, I'm overcoming depression. You, you suffered with that? And the reality is, is until we have conversations like that, church is going to just be cheating everybody. Wow. I'm cheating you. You cheat me. We're cheating ourselves. 
and nobody is getting where they're supposed to be going because we just want to do the short little conversation and never stretch ourselves out and share just something we're not supposed to share. Because here's the reality. Some of you are afraid of what people are going to think. Who cares? Who cares? The, the, the Bible is very clear on this. Like, the Bible, God, God calls uh, Peter all the time in the Bible, Peter, but everybody still calls him Simon if you, you read throughout it because God's going to call you something other people don't see yet. You know, when, when you see a mess up, God's like, no, no, I, I already call you masterpiece. Like, like, who cares what people say? Scripture calls you this. Some people will think something. Let them think what they want to think. You're in the freedom business. You're in the testimony business. You're in the glorifying God business. You're in the I don't want to care what people think business. I uh, I'm invite the worship team to come up. Got two quick little points. When Jesus comes to church, the religious lose their minds. I want, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted different types of people to get healed today. I've been praying. We prayed for this on Tuesday. We were praying for this on Thursday. I've been praying all week over this message. And one of the ones that I just, my heart started breaking for the most was the religious ones. Because I think the religious ones are doing even worse than the withered hand ones. It, it, it literally says this in Luke 6. It says, he looked around at them. One by one said, the man, hold your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with them. That word wild with rage literally means they lost their mind. They were so upset. They're at church. Jesus heals somebody, and they're angry. Living under religion and legalism is like living under the curse still. You can't enjoy God's presence. You can't enjoy breakthrough. Oh, it says this in Philippians 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, rely rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Religion kills rejoicing. And if you've ever met a religious person, one of the first things they judge is worship because they don't understand rejoicing. Religious people come in and they're legalistic and people are raising their hands and they're, they're clapping and, you know, we, we say, he won't. And people are like, whoa, he won't. And the people are like, way too expressive, too emotional, wrong church for me. I'm like, oh, dear, religion is killing, rejoicing. That person who screamed out he won't is talking about how he didn't fail them through their addiction, right. saved their life through death. You want them to stand there and say, he won't. He won't fail me now. He won't. But this is the yoke that religion puts on. Religion is more performance-driven than any other religion. The, the, the ones that, the religion judging other churches for being performance, I'm like, no, you're the most performance ever. You, have a, you guys have a dance you teach everybody. A robe they gotta wear. If you're religious in the house today, I pray that God would set you free that you can start living a different type of life where you can celebrate more, that your eye would be trained to see the good things of God, that, that in a room like this, you could see that you are needed to help people and bless people and serve people, not judge people. You know, Pharisees, their eyes are trained to judge people. Oh, may your eyes be transformed today in the name of Jesus. I want to conclude with this. It's a rubber band. It's one purpose is to be stretched. It's not being stretched, it's not really being used. And our faith can relate with a rubber band. If you're not being stretched, like it's not being used. 
And you look throughout Genesis, Jesus is in the stretching game. And he comes into Abraham, asks him to leave everything that he knows. That, that's a stretch. He, he goes to Moses, he says, stretch out your arms physically. And if you stretch out your arms, there'll be victory. If you don't stretch your arms, there'll be defeat. So he needs help even stretching out his arms. To, to split the rest, he stretch out your arm with the staff. Uh, Elijah in Kings stretches out his body three times over the dead boy to save his life. Paul, knowing this scripture in Acts, when the man falls out of the window and dies, stretches out his body over the man and he lives. The reality is, is we don't like to stretch. We like comfort. And what I, if I'm just being honest about my own physical body is, most of my physical problems are from a lack of stretching. I had to go to a physical therapist about nine years ago because of my back and you know, and this is literally how far I can go to touch my toes. How upsetting is that? Like, that's a good foot. That's bad. I stretch every night. And if I don't stretch, like literally, like my body just, my back tightens up. I, I won't be able to play golf. My shoulders get tight. Like, it messes me up. I got plantar fasciitis because my calves got too tight. And so I started thinking about a lot of us, including myself. Most of my spiritual problems are also because of lack of stretching. It's a lack of trusting God and with faith and saying, if I bring this to the light, you know, one of my pastors said this, trust God and do what he told you is right and let him take care of the outcome. Just trust God, do what's right and just trust him with the outcome. Well, what if people think this? What if this happens? Trust God, stretch it out and trust him with the outcome. This would be a bad church service if I didn't give you an opportunity to get prayed for. If you're in the room today and man, you've been struggling with this, the same cycle of bondage in your life, you've been struggling with mental health or maybe a physical illness, maybe your marriage is struggling, I mean, you name it, whatever your witherness is, we want to pray for you. So if you want prayer this morning, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. We want to pray for you real quick. You're in the middle of church right now. You say, man, I, I'm stretching out my withered hand. On the count of three, if that's you, one, two, three, stand up. Anybody who needs prayer. And if you're feeling great this season and you're around somebody, could you put your hand on their shoulder? Shoulder only. No, top of the head. Uh, don't make it weird. Man, I'm believing for miracles. I'm believing for testimonies. I don't want to play church. I don't want to come every Sunday and just leave and not have God do what he, he promised to do. We're going to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. I'm believing today is going to be the beginning of a great breakthrough for a lot of you. Are you ready? So God, we pray in the name of Jesus for the ones that said, God, I have a witherness in my life. I pray for the ones with physical illness. God, we declare right now what your Bible says, what your word says, that by your stripes they are healed. God, that the kingdom of heaven is now. So God, we speak healing now. God, I pray for the one with mental health and anxiety and depression. God, you set the captives free. So we say to the ones that are held with that captivity of depression, you are free now in the name of Jesus. We come against depression. We come against anxiety. We say you have to stop now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for the one that has a bad marriage right now. They're struggling. They're on a lifeline. It's withered. We pray a great marriage is going to start today now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for the one that has bondage through lust, pornography, drugs, alcohol. Lord, we believe that stops today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray by your grace and by your spirit. God, I pray that believers would rally around them. God, I pray they would take the right steps. But God, we pray by your power. And God, we believe that because of this great testimony of birth, God, we love you, we love you. And everybody said? I got one last question. We got to make this fast. So uh, you can stay standing, but I want to ask anybody who wants to get saved real quick. Will you bow your heads?
Quick question. If you never said yes to heaven, no to hell, somebody's tugging on your heart, you just felt like, man, I, want, I, I was dragged to church, I, I didn't know who Jesus was, or I walked away, and I wanted to rededicate my life, but you want to say yes to Jesus today. Holy Spirit was working on you from the very beginning of service. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand, we want to pray for you. You want to say yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, raise it up and raise it high. I see you, and I see you. Come on now, hands all over, I see you. Come on now, people getting saved today. Come on, I see you in the back. Come on. Raise it high. It's hard for me to see today. God, we thank you for the ones that said yes. God, bless them. God, I pray that they would go to Next Step class. God, I pray they get in a small group. They keep coming. They keep chasing after you. God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.